money, babe What have you been smoking To can save the joke Believe the joke Could ever leave me broken This ain't my first rodeo Where the dust has left me so this is what I've been trying to do for years is raise people's consciousness mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. these pieces as artwork. And I yep. think we're seeing more and more of that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, but it, it was years, years, you know, mm -hmm, of, of mm -hmm. really struggling to get past this little old lady thing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just something on the bed that we see every day. And, you know, this ordinary as opposed yeah. to extraordinary works of art. On this episode of Playtime from her ranch in Montana, the, the fine art of the quilt with Colleen's story, plus our featured indie artist, we hear from Peter Jolie. I'm W.C. Turk. You've been plotting the perfect plan. Go unscathed. Leave me ruined. You've done me wrong. 2016, Archaeology Magazine reported the discovery of 20,000-year-old sewing needles made of bone in a cave in southern Russia along the Mongolian border. Mankind and their Neanderthal cousins had mastered sewing tens of thousands of years before. It is a simple innovation for Ice Age humans to sew pockets between furs and skins that could be stuffed with grass or leaves or bits of fabric or fur for extra warmth and insulation. Our first true evidence for quilting may be seen in a sculpture dated to 3400 BC, showing a pharaoh who appears to be wearing a quilted garment. Ostensibly, quilting entails the stitching together of layers of padding and fabric. The oldest surviving example of a quilted piece is a linen carpet found in a Mongolian cave dated between 100 BC and 200 AD. In Europe, quilting appears to have been introduced by crusaders in the 12th century in the form of a quilted garment worn under armor or as a supplement to armor, which later developed into the doublet. The doublet remained an essential part of fashionable men's clothing for 300 years until the early 1600s. Quilting was quickly recognized as an art form. The Tristan quilt was made around the middle of the 1300s in Sicily. The quilt illustrates the adulterous escapades of two young lovers modeled on the medieval Arthur Lancelot Guinevere love triangle. In colonial America, quilt making was common throughout the late 17th century and the early part of the 18th century. Only the wealthy had the available time necessary for quilt making at that time. Their quilts became decorative items that displayed the fine needlework of the maker. In the lead up to the Civil War, quilting was used as a means to raise funds for the abolitionist movement. Colleen Story's handmade quilts reflect the natural wonders of her native Montana, replete with organic floral motifs and palettes inspired by such divergent artists as Claude Monet and Mark Rothko. Her quilts appear in the film, Larry McMurtry's Return to Lonesome Dove, Colleen's work has been exhibited in galleries and coffee shops throughout Montana, Illinois, California, and as far away as Prague in the Czech Republic. Colleen Story has also worked as a wardrobe assistant on films and for photographer David Yarrow. Colleen's website is lifeasquilt.com. How did I do? Did I leave anything out?
Well, Bill, I don't know if we have anything else to talk about. You just covered it all. Well, it's been wonderful speaking with you, and I hope you have. No, no, we've got a lot to talk about. Not, not the, not the least of which is getting into into your quilts and your artwork. We were speaking before before the introduction about uh, a mutual friend, David Yarrow. We know each other from you and I know each other from our mutual friend, set decorator for Public Enemies, The Horse Whisperer uh, with Robert Redford, uh, and Empire, Caroline Prezan. But it seems that all roads would lead to, uh, to David Yarrow. Well, yeah, David comes to Montana uh-huh. uh, to do a lot of photo shoots. Yeah. And uh, we, and I say we, my family, my husband uh, modeled for him um, in Virginia City with the, the the wild animal stuff that he does um he's done, i would know he, i would know your husband's face then i'm certain there I'm where sure. my husband was featured yeah uh the iconic picture of him is in an old railroad car and there's a cougar right next to him it's my husband and the cougar is right next to him it's pretty iconic it's uh I've i know he's that. i know he used it in and you know it's built the, their billboard size. I have not seen the actual photos mm-hmm. in real life. You know, I mean, we're there on the set, we're watching them be made, but to actually, I mean, the size, as I understand, they're like twenty, you know, twenty by forty or something they're, crazy. They're like billboard huge. Size. Yeah, I, I yeah. haven't, I haven't, I haven't <clears throat> seen any uh, any wallet size uh, or eight by tens. Everything yeah. that he does is, is large and exemplary. Yeah. And then, so that was, that was kind of where we started. And then um, last month we did, or I guess it was February, we did one up at a place called the crazy mountain ranch in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in Montana. And, you know, if you, you know, David's stuff, he likes to have a big scene, very, yes. very large, you know, and it's, so we, we had this old Western town and they set it up in the street. I mean, there we're talking horses, we're talking wagons and 60 extras. Mm-hmm. So we had three people on wardrobe, my friend, Allison, who brought all the costumes. I mean, she had, she runs a um, old timey Photoshop place, oh, you man. know, those places yeah. where you go in and you dress up in old fashioned clothes and so she has that shop. So she brought all her period stuff, 1880s, 1890s kind of, um, and we dressed 60 extras. Uh, the first night was VIPs. So these would be people that had bought uh, Yarrow's work. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we all stayed at this amazing ranch. I mean, just, it's all done like an old tiny ranch, but it is, all the accommodations are there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, top notch. We were we were at three meals a day and being served out of the the big copper, you know, warming trays and you know linen <laughs> tablecloths. I mean, it was just classy all the way. So the first night was VIP night, and, uh-huh. and so, so gal a uh, uh, gallery a gal that runs a gallery that sells his stuff, people that purchased his things, they they were there, mm-hmm. um, and it was just. And then the next day, all the extras came. We had mm-hmm. sixty extras. You know, and, and it was just a ball. And I was there, of course, helping with uh, costuming or there were some repairs that had to be done. I was stitching things up. Um, so uh, we and that I got to work with my daughter, Fiona, um, and uh, my friend Allison. And we made a I thought we made a really good team. And it's it's nice to have, you know, people that you can can work with. And, and it just goes and it's just so fun, too. I mean, it's work. 
Yeah. But it's fun. Yeah. He has such an affinity for, for the old West. I know of the pieces that you're talking about. I'm a very, very big fan of his work and awed by, by his work and his power. I, I, I was at a, uh, was at a dinner with him where he dressed down the ambassador for, uh, for South Africa for oh. their treatment of wild elephants and mm. that he wouldn't that he would not go back to to South Africa until they addressed some of the abuses of uh, of what was happening to to big game in in South Africa and she she stood up to her to her wonderful credit and made made a pledge that she would do that that takes wow. that takes guts That's but that powerful. takes that takes that takes power, and uh, and 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 That's he right. wields that to the benefit of of the environment and nature and a lot of these um, uh, these endangered animals and uh, and animal refuges. Uh, it, it, it's stunning that that same meeting, by the way, he was auctioning off or uh, he was soliciting for uh, for three original prints, uh, ten thousand dollars a piece. My my co-host Carrie Kendall at the time kept nudging me uh, because two <laughs> hands went up right away. Uh, there wasn't a third hand to go up. All of the proceeds were going towards uh, towards wa- uh, a wildlife fund. And in that in in that minute or so before that third hand went up, I was doing the calculus in my head of can I do this. And and then sell it before I have to explain it to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? Did but you get it? I didn't. No, no. I, 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 no. I it was it was a, a bit out of my price range. Right. But I right. was I was doing I was doing that math really hard and really fast in my head. Um, <laughs> that sounds awesome. Was that in Chicago? That was in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, ga- a gallery here in uh, in Chicago. So awesome! Yeah, that's very cool. I want to go back a little bit to to something uh, because we're going. By the way, we're going to get into your family history, which is which is astounding. I, I've I've done some genealogy on uh, on on my side of the family. You have a really wonderful story. I'm I'm always captivated by by family history and, and family stories. But I want to go back to the to the opening a little bit and touch on something that gets to the heart of your work in the intro. I mentioned Mark Rothko as being one of one of your influences. I've always seen his color panel pieces not as abstracts, but as landscapes mm. or or horizons. Having grown up on my uncle's farm on the on the very flat plains of of Iowa I see I see sunsets and dusty hazy mornings and uh and and, and shadows and and all that in his, in his work um how has Rothko and Monet inspired your work Colleen story well you know my experience with Rothko was a little bit different you know a lot of times People are seeing one or two Uh Rothkos at a time. I was uh, a student at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design Uh in the 80s. And they they had, at that art institute, the Minneapolis Art Institute, they had some really amazing 
exhibitions. Uh-huh. One of them being a Rothko retrospective, but I mean, it was all of his work. Mm-hmm. It wasn't one or two pieces. It was all of it. Mm-hmm. And, and it took you in this journey yeah. from, it was an emotional, I had to sit down halfway through it. I just had to sit down. I was so, the emotion that was in there, you could, cause if you know anything about his life and his struggles and his, and his kind of, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if it's mental illness or some, you know, some of the mm-hmm. things that mm-hmm. he went through, mm-hmm. it was in those paintings. Yeah. It was yeah. in there. And I sensed it and I felt it and I had to stop and sit down. It was all of it from, you know, from the beginning to the middle to kind of the end where he got really dark and all that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, can color, color and the way that you present it evoke this kind of an emotion Mm -hmm. from the viewer? Mm -hmm. To me, that when I recognize the power of color Really, to me, it was the color and the way and the way it was laid down and the whole thing blew my mind. That was that was a real turning point for me to see, you know, how color, you know, light, you know, we're all affected by light. There's not enough sunshine, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I mean, that's all. But to really see that power Mm -hmm. in those pieces blew me away. One piece, you know, you see his work in postcards and. Or you'll go to a, you know, to a museum, yeah. there'll be one or two pieces and they're, they're great. They're powerful, but not like this. If pieces are large and you need to you need to be consumed by them. And that's what happened. I will yeah. be consumed yeah. by them. I really wasn't, like I said, halfway through the exhibit, I had to just sit down, yeah, kind of catch my breath. And I'd never had, you know, quite a, a reaction like that. You know, growing up in Chicago, I was in, grew up in Northbrook. So mm-hmm. we went to, as field trips as kids, we went to the Art Institute all the time. Yeah, yeah. And again, talk about a collection of art that's just, what an amazing place to be able to go and visit and look at. And and then there was the, the Monet's, and maybe you know the ones I'm talking about, the haystacks. Yes, yeah, and I know. There's three of them. And again, the way they're presented there, they show that light study yeah. and, you know, a, that idea of the light study, that same image. Mm-hmm. And then it's, mm-hmm. so that's, that's the other place where I started to see, you know, this play of light and dark and, and how all that affects my art and, and how I design things, I guess. So how does that come together in a quilt and, and what sort of, what sort of control do you have over over the design of individual panels, I have I have total I have total control. I have total control over how I put it together, how it's mm-hmm. pieced mm-hmm. together. I even you know even in the past have dyed my own fabrics to get the colors that I wanted, um, but I don't really have to do that anymore because on on the market right now there are just mm-hmm. so many amazing you know from from hemp, I'm using hemp. Uh, people will bring me, I have silk oh, from, from China that uh, uh-huh. my cousin brought me. And Carrie sends me stuff, you know, all her samples. She sent me, I don't know, it must've been 50 pounds of <laughs> stuff from her set decorating. And, and again, you know, this is, this is also this next kind of a trend of re-upcycling. So, you know, these things are things that she probably would have thrown in the landfill Mm -hmm, and I'm mm -hmm. taking them and I'm incorporating them into, into what I do. So there's, there's no lack of, of raw materials to to work with. 
And I love that. You incorporate a lot of organic um, influences in your work as well. Mm. Um, these uh, f- uh, floral patterns and, and flowers. Are those made for you? Are those are those found? Are those... Where, uh, no, most do- of those are commercial. So okay. I, my mom and aunt started the first quilt store in Montana wow. in 1976. And that's when there was this whole quilting revival going yeah. on. And, you know, and I think that my mom had the t-shirt that says we'll work for fabric. <laughs> right. So when she died about, I guess it's been 10 years ago, mm-hmm. we're going through all her stuff and my brother's pulling down these boxes out of the attic box after box of fabric. And he was, he was pissed. He's like, is this how mom spent her money? You know, I mean, he was just. (laughs) And you (laughs) said, yes, she did. He did. You know, (laughs) 1500 pounds, Bill, 1500 pounds. That's a lot of fabric. But, but um, in those days, in this, you know, in the early days, we were still, the fabric was still being manufactured in the United States. They were still growing cotton. They were still milling it. They were still printing it. So the Mm -hmm, quality mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is just really the colors are still very vibrant. The, the, the quality of the fabric is, so I use a lot of that and don't get me wrong. I sold a lot of it, you know, with 1500 pounds is a lot. We had two big estate sales, uh-huh. sold it by the pound. And, you know, <laughs> so then I could get my brothers off my back. And you have to okay. sell it to make room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I use a lot of that, which makes, of course, which makes my stuff. I mean, there's no way anybody could ever copy what I'm doing. I mean, that's why each piece is so unique because I am just taking from, you know, the vintage stuff. I'm taking it from the things that people give me. And so, you know, the florals, it's like, I'm not even looking so much at florals. If you see what's on the Mm -hmm. wall, I know we don't have the visual with this conversation, but really it's that contrast of light and dark. If you don't really have that strong contrast, the design itself will not show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So you need that. You need that contrast. So I really work with lights and darks. I don't think, oh, florals, plaids. I don't really think so much in terms that definitely adds texture. Uh So the the, the prints and the the plaids and the different um, designs within the fabrics add that textural element. at least visually text visual texture. And and am I am I reading too much of it or or, or assuming too much? My cat is trying to get my attention here. Uh, and, <laughs> and then so then the dog comes up. Am I overthinking this that that you're 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 kind of on the borderline with uh, with a, a, at least one Native American re- reservation? It it looks to me a, an amateur eye that some of those motifs have also made it or influences have made it into your work? No, I, I kind of leave that to the natives. You know, okay. they, they're, okay. they're, they're star quilts. I would never do a star quilt because they are the ones that do the star quilts too. Mm-hmm. What you're seeing behind me is a uh, what's called a courthouse steps. And it is uh, an American, early American design. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is so cool because these designs really have an abstract feel to them they're very they have a very modern um, appeal uh, because you know because of the shapes and and the designs and this this piece that I'm working on here like I said I think the the first time we saw this pattern was probably right after the civil war Mm -hmm. you know 
Um, so I love the old designs and breathing new life into them um, uh, because I, I think they're, well, they're classic designs and yeah. um, they're beautiful and they're they, funded. So they, they kind of live in two, in two worlds that, that abstraction, which is, which is, which we assume rightly or wrongly is, is more about the modern but then, but then they have they have that they they still live in that traditional sense. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think this idea I do think that this abstract notion and when you look at the Amish quilts, mm-hmm. um, you know, they have something that's simply called bars. It's just these big color bars, mm-hmm, and what mm-hmm. that represents is the rows in their planting. You know, so it actually represents something just like the, the piece on the wall is called courthouse steps. And uh-huh. you can see it has an architectural aspect. Yes. To it. Yeah. it was made for when a, a woman got married to represent the courthouse that she would be married under, you know what I mean? Like a legal, you know, so it represented it, ha- it represented something in an abstract form. So I do I do think there's there's that abstract aspect to it. Um, if that's the right word that I'm looking for, abstract or representational, yeah, yeah, I'm not quite yeah. sure, you yeah. know, so that's the other part about it. And the log cabin, which is another pattern that I do all the time, uh-huh. it starts with a little red center that represents the hearth of the home. And then the strips that are sewn around it represent the, the logs, you know, and, and so that's what this life sewn into the quilt is, is all about for me is, is there's more to it than just pretty colors. I mean, I do a great job with mm-hmm, color mm-hmm. and design, but there's mm-hmm. also a little more meat to it, I guess. Yeah. No, that, and, and, and that's, that's <laughs> fair because I think maybe a lot of us come to quilting from an emotional sense. We have one in a closet from, uh, from my grandparents um, made during the depression. Nice. And, but there's that emotional connection. There's that, that sort of remembrance of, of of a time or an era gone by, I guess. You know, uh, and and that is I that is a really good point, and that was some that's another aspect of of what I do is that early on I was making these baby quilts, and I was yeah. and people that didn't even have babies were like freaking out about it. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh my god, this reminds me of my quilt when I was a baby, yeah, and I was yeah. selling it to all these, you know, all the because it did. It's it evokes a memory. Um, yep. I definitely think that 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 is possible to do. And, and when I started seeing I could do that just with the way that the fabrics that I chose and it makes people mm-hmm. feel really good. Mm-hmm. Like they love them. Like I've got these people that don't even have babies that are all snuggled up with these little these little quilts that make them, you know, remember what it was like to feel cozy and loved and, uh-huh. and all that, you know. And so it does it. You're right. It, it it creates an emotional, a good emotional trigger. I mean, triggers are usually like bad, but I mean, like a good response. But you, you touched on something that I thought was really, really important about, about the strategic construction of, of a quilt. Do you, do you think that that emotional connection is important to, to leading people to that more cognitive, more intellectual, more, more purposeful artistic element in in quilting uh or or do you think it 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 robs the artist of of that uh, of the respect i suppose of of that um the deliberation well that's always been a bit of a struggle because you know that 
quilts, something that's on the bed, something that grandma did, something yeah, that you yeah. give away that you yeah. don't, you know. So, so it's been a, I guess, a campaign of mine throughout the years to really show people that there's more to this than just grandma sitting on sitting in a rocking chair. chair. You know, I mean, (laughs) and so we've done, I I have in the early eighties, we were doing these gallery shows, you know, right up there with some of, well, some of the local, I'm in Livingston, Montana. We have a lot Mm of Mm -hmm. art and we were in some of the main galleries, these women and I, and, you know, having those price tags on them. So they understand the time, the materials, yeah. what it takes. And, and there was, you know, there were people, there were even w- other women that mm-hmm. quilted that would go up to them and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's asking this price for this. Can you believe she put these colors together? Like there were like even other women and other quilters being critical <laughs> <laughs> they weren't yeah. helping the cause at all. So this is what I've been trying to do for years is raise people's consciousness mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. these pieces as artwork. And I yep. think we're seeing more and more of that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, but it, it was years, years, you know, mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. of really struggling to get past this little old lady thing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just something on the bed that we see every day. And, you know, this ordinary as opposed yeah. to extraordinary works of art. Pricing pieces. Cause I, I, I've, I've seen, I've seen quilts online for 49 bucks, but then, but then yours sell for between anywhere from what 2000 to about 3,500, I think. But I did, I did count the panels in, in a number of them. There was one that had 340 panels mm-hmm. and that's all sewn by hand. Am I, am I correct? No, I saw, I saw, I piece them on the sewing machine, but they're still like the one that you're seeing. So I don't do, I usually do smaller size because a lot of people want my work Uh and they want it to be affordable. So I do, I do smaller, which might be, uh, I I did a whole series last summer called the travel quilts and they just, they were just perfect. They were, you know, like about 60 inches square very reasonably priced they could Uh get some of my flashy stuff it was more my flashy kind of boho stuff that I was doing last Mm -hmm. year and then I've got over the years I've had people request king size quilts Mm -hmm. and Bill they are they are a real uh, they are tough to build because I mean you know so I'm going to build this king size quilt, but Mm -hmm. it's, um, I've got my figures written down here. I mean, I'm going to have to do like a hundred of those blocks each block. And it's, it's like, I don't think about it like that. I Mm -hmm. think about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to do 20 this week. (laughs) I'll do 20 next week. You know, all that kind of thing. You just have to take it in pieces or otherwise it doesn't get done. Yeah. And that's my, I think that's what separates me from other people mm-hmm, is that mm-hmm. I, I do the work mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. a lot of it's really boring. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, any process in the, if you're a process oriented person, and this is process oriented product at the end, but the process of making these, and there's times it is so dull and so boring. You have to push through that push, push, push through to the other side. Like any art form. Yeah. But a lot yeah. of people don't. 
They yeah, do get, yeah. they get bored, they get tired They They get, you know, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm going to start something new. Mm-hmm. And I really think that that in so many cases, in so many different modalities that people work in getting through the tedium of mm-hmm. the process, mm-hmm. because it's not all in the beginning, it's all like, Oh, picking out colors <laughs> and, you know, what am I going to do? What design am I going to do and sketching things out and that, you know, that, um, that initial, mm-hmm. that initial stage. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh my gosh, now I got to cut it out. <laughs> I have to sew it. <laughs> you know? So I think that's really key to any, any art process. Really. There are, there is a point at which you get where it's, it's not all that exciting. I, I write books, screenplays and plays, but but books in particular, because it takes so much time to write them. It's usually it's usually at the hundred page mark that mm. I feel that I'm I'm getting over the hump. So it doesn't say anything about about editing, but that's a whole separate separate story. But if, if I can get to a hundred pages, I know I can finish that book. Um, but yeah. it's still it's still it's still a, a slog. It's still it's still getting in there every day and pumping out two or three pages and, and and you know so that was the key to having you on is to is to talk about that artistic process in mm-hmm. quilt making because I, I I do think and I had no appreciation for it. Part of the research for this piece. I'm I'm looking at uh, at videos about uh, about quilting, and there's there's a science to the needles, mm-hmm. and the science to the threads, and and a quality to the threads. All of those things that are part and parcel of of your knowledge of your knowledge base as an artist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to. I mean, just as a as a painter is going to pick the right. Um, you know, brushes and the right paint and the right canvas. I mean, it's yeah. all, that's all part of it. And it's all part of the learning process. I mean, yeah. and, and yeah. Um, you know, my daughter works with me now and, and I'm able to pass on some information and say, you know, you want to use this thread for this uh-huh. purpose. And, you know, so, so a little, I know Carrie talks a lot about mentoring, but, you know, it's passing on skills to the next generation. Uh, you know, that's part of it too. But yeah, yeah. no, there's a lot to equipment, the sewing machines, I mean, I've got four sewing machines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one's a, 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 an old singer from uh, like a 1920s. Wow. Uh, and I love that. It's just, it's, it's just like really sort of Zen. It's, it's quiet. It just runs. There's nothing, you know, I can put a little oil in it. There's no computer, but the rest of the machines are, you know, computerized. You can't really fool around with them. You can't change the settings, that yeah. kind of thing. So I, I just depending on the mood and what I'm sewing, I'll, I'll switch to the different machines. Yeah, um, yeah. Some of the processes I do, like putting on the binding at the end, I like to do by hand. You oh, know, nice. So there's things that I've, I've learned over the years, the skills of what to get these. And I really want to get stuff done because partly we do, you know, we do have to, I have to make money. I mean, I do have to sell my pieces. Yeah. So that is, you know, you have to take that into consideration. Um, what am I doing? You know, marketing. Um, I do a lot of social media marketing. I have a newsletter. I have collectors, people that collect my stuff that are actually waiting for the next piece, <laughs> which is fabulous, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, one of my collectors is actually up in Crystal Lake. One of my good friends loves my stuff. And every time I was, oh, do I have to get that one now? Oh, like, wonderful. You know? That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, that's definitely, so I'm thinking also as I'm sewing uh-huh. about, and if you've seen my uh, pictures, I do everything outside. Outdoors. Yes. I like to hang them with the mountains behind. I, I, I just hauled a log bed out in the middle of the field. I saw that. That was so. <laughs> so I got to do something with that. We'll set that up as a bed and, and do some more pictures with that. But for me, it's that is kind of the finale. Yeah. That's what I look forward to I, as I'm yeah. sewing in this, you know, that, that space that we talked about that gets tedious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about, okay, how am I going to present this? What am I going to put it, you know, is it going to look best in, in morning light? Will it look best in evening light? You know, where do I want it? You know, so I think about it like that, how I'm going to put it together into a photo shoot. And, and we do a lot of that, we, yeah. we, uh, you know, around here with my, my daughter, um, loves to do fashion and she does some fashion shoot stuff. Wow. And yeah. So that's, that's kind of how I work. Kind of and a busy again, workshop you know, there. Marketing. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. My, my husband, you know, we, there's Dave, both Fiona and I were here sewing and we're just going at it. He comes down, <laughs> he goes, this is like the little, little sweatshop on the prairie, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you said, uh, we do. You- we do. You you said you said earlier that that you you sketch these out beforehand. How detailed are those sketches? How it's mostly math. You know, how many squares do I need to make to have okay. it be this this big? It's- so where where does the so then where where does you you've got <laughs> you, you still got I'm 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 guessing a pretty large portion of the fifteen hundred pounds that your that your mom left you. So. Where, where does the, the composition aspect of it kick in? Well, I, I have a, a design wall. It's, a, it's, it's kind of like, a, you know, when we were kids, you had those felt boards. Yeah. So it's a big felt piece on my wall. And I put the pieces up there and design okay. on the wall. Basically. Oh, brilliant. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So a lot of times... I'm like, a, like a storyboard the, for, for movie people. And yeah, you're, mm-hmm. you're just sort of yeah. moving things around uh, as, yeah. as they work. And then if I like my composition, I take a picture of it uh-huh. so that I don't get confused. You know, like, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. This is perfect. I have to remember this. And yeah. I take a picture yeah. of it. And then that's my reference for sewing it back together in case, you know, I drop a piece or a piece gets out of order or, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So, so that's kind of how, how I work with that. So when they get out of bed, a lot of people want the quilts to drop to cover the mattress. Yeah. I create them to sit on the top of the bed. I call them toppers okay. because that's how I design them on the wall mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For, for the whole pattern to be seen. Now I will, I mean, like this king size one that I'm working on, mm-hmm. um, that will be large enough to drop over the sides of a, of a um, king size. Mm-hmm. Just because I had at least six people in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how long I've been putting off making a king size bed. <laughs> ask, ask me about it. Yeah. But it's, it's a little daunting, really. That's, it's really big. It's a lot of material to, to, to handle mm-hmm. and move around. And, and again, staying interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How long, how long do you think it takes you to complete an average piece? Or is that even a proper question? I, when, when I do paintings, yeah. I, can, I, I, I just signed a painting that took me a year and a half to finally mm-hmm. finish. 
just nice. adding little bits and pieces here. There, it just wasn't finished there. It wasn't fully realized. And then, so, so it took me that long. There are other paintings I can, I can blast out in a day or a couple of days or a week or a month. Is that how you work with quilts? Well, you know, it, it just kind of depends, Bill. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, like if you're having a, a really enjoyable meal, uh-huh, and you're you're, uh-huh. you're eating it and you're enjoying it and you want to savor it. You know, there's some of that, you know, okay, that with it. Okay. You know, I'm really enjoying it. But as I said earlier, I do this as an income to, mm-hmm, to pay mm-hmm. my bills. So there is a certain I, I can't I can't self-imposed lu- deadline. Yeah, I can't get yeah. too luxurious about it. You know, I mean, I just yeah, have yeah. to keep going and going. And 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 um, so for instance, here's a good example. We uh where I live uh, is on the Yellowstone River, mm-hmm. and across the river they have built a film set, an old-timey, old-fashioned Western film set. It is absolutely amazing. It's called Caroline, the and I have talked about that a the thousand Yellowstone times. Film yeah. Ranch. So they're doing all these old-timey westerns. Yeah, I mean they're just booked one after another after another. Wow. So. Wow. Um, there was one called Terror on the Prairie. And they're all like that. They're all like <laughs> terror and, and, you know, all this, this stuff. And um, <laughs> so they wanted a quilt for one of their scenes. And I was, I put some sketches together. I talked to the art department. Um, he's like, I need this in a week. And it was a good size uh, one. It was, uh-huh. you know, and, and basically, I mean, I did it. I did it. So I knew, and which was exciting no to know sleep. that under that, no, no sleep. <laughs> and, and we, and my daughter was working in the wardrobe department. And so we were also doing, we were dyeing fabric. We had buckets, you know, of, of dye in here, yeah, yeah. putting together stuff. I had the, it was awesome. It was so exciting. Um, so it didn't matter that I was up all night doing this stuff, but I got it done. I mean, from, from beginning to end and, you know, in that deadline, which was, uh, mm-hmm. I think I had, by the time we actually came to the deal and came to, you know, an agreement of price and size and colors, probably five days. Okay. Five days. You, you showed in Prague. Yeah. Did you go to Prague no, in order to show? And I oh. kicked myself. I kicked myself. That would have been like, that was just like, I don't know what the kids were little yeah, and yeah. I just, and the opportunity came up. My brother-in-law is a photographer mm-hmm. from Prague and he was doing a show yeah. and he wanted my quilts to complement his photography. And he yeah. already had purchased two or three from me. So uh-huh. he was already had those pieces with him in Prague. And then I made a couple wow. just specifically for that show. Wow. So yeah, I do. I do really regret not going because that would have been like a great opportunity. And, and I spent a lot of time in Prague back in the nineties nice. and, mm. and just love the city. Mm. And, and so when I saw that and, and I extrapolated your work over my memory of, of, the, of the old town and the skyline. And there just seemed a, a magical sort of synergy. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I hear. And, and, you know, my brother-in-law lived there under when, when the Russians were, you know. I yeah. Mean, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, he comes with a real interesting perspective and it's always <laughs> fun, you know, to hear hear his perspective he's a chemist and uh you know like a doctor kind of guy and i mean he's you know high end and and uh and one of these days i'll get there but that wasn't i should have i kicked myself but the kids were (laughs) my kids were little and i thought oh it's a big consideration 
what if something mm. happens to me? You know, like that kind yeah. of stuff. I was worried about about my own health. When did the when did the quilting bug capture you? What when when did you decide this is what you wanted to do as an artist? Well, you know, I was I was in art school uh-huh. and uh, printmaking, and mm-hmm. I loved it. I loved mm-hmm. it, you know, because. Everything about it, so tactile. I was yeah. working with the litho stones, like the old processes of grinding the right. litho stones. I loved it. You know, you were working with cotton uh, paper, embossing, mm-hmm. all that cool stuff. And I was just getting towards the end of my degree, and I was like, "Well, I don't. I'm not going to set up a print studio. I mean, I just didn't have the space to do that." Yeah. And my yeah. mom had was doing the, the quilt store. Right. And I started like checking it out and, and I'm like, isn't this for old ladies? And she's like, no, 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 no. Let me show you what, you know, cause people were doing really artsy stuff mm-hmm. as part of the quilt revival that was going on. So I started studying with, with, uh, there's an artist by the a quilt artist by the name of Michael James. I studied with him. Um, I studied some dyeing techniques with uh, a, a gal named uh, uh, Newberry mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and they were all coming to Montana. Mm-hmm. It was great. We were bringing all these name, big name quilters and art, quilt artists to Montana. So I was completely inspired. I'm like, this is, this is perfect. Yeah, it's got yeah. design. It's got color. It's got the texture and great community, mm-hmm. great community of people. I think that's a really important piece mm-hmm. to be sort of, you know, exchanging ideas and critiquing each other. I, I think that's really important because I can sit up here on my little mountaintop by myself all day long, patting myself on the back saying, oh, you know, but is it real? You know, I, I, I need some perspective. Yeah. I need perspective as well. So this idea of community, I think is really important. And I don't want a bunch of yes, man around saying, oh, Colleen, you're just, you're just so good. And yeah. you know, that's so beautiful. And I, and I, I love that. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but um <laughs> You know, we need that, don't we, Bill? We do need to be told. Yeah, send a little bit more my way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm feeling a little underappreciated here lately. Yeah, well, I've learned how to kind I'll of get over pat it. myself, pat yourself go. on the back. You got to do that. You, know? you got to do that. So, but but having a community that that is uh, yeah. also doing what you're doing and they kind of understand it and yeah, you know, I mean, I I and even you know we used to do these gallery shows. And I did very traditional stuff in the gallery shows. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And I always did something with a flipping cowboy on it, Mm -hmm, you know, mm because I knew it would sell. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, something with the cowboys, you know, I saw every, every gallery show that I had with this group of friends I worked with. I sold the stuff. I felt like I carried the whole show, honestly. (laughs) I I wanted, they were doing super artsy stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm saying like they're writing poetry, they're doing abstract, you know, like things that aren't even functional with. Uh-huh. And I love that shit. Don't get me wrong, like sewing on you know, sequins and buttons and all this kind of stuff. But at some point, you also have to have something that's marketable. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I wanted to go back to something very quickly uh, before we get we get a, 
a, a bit into your, your incredible family history. And that was, you were talking about dyeing fabrics. Do you alter or augment or or dye fabrics in order to, to make them work? Or, or are, are you just strictly working with, with the palette that's available to you? There are so many choices now. Back when I was dyeing my own fabric, uh, you know, which was 30 years ago, 30, yeah, 35 yeah. years ago, there really wasn't the, the availability. Now there's so many cool fabrics that mm-hmm. people are doing. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are just small, small industries like myself. So I feel like I can support these people, people in my neighborhood that are, that are doing wool bats for, you know, try to support yeah, yeah. people that are raising sheep and turning, turning, you know, so I'm trying to do as much local sourcing or small uh, business type mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. that I can. So mm-hmm. the availability of stuff, I don't have to dye my own fabric anymore. Okay. You know, there was okay. a time when, when, to get what I wanted, I had to do it myself. Yeah, and yeah. I'm really sort of over that. I mean, that yeah. that's actually kind of summarizes what it's like to live in Montana. Not so much anymore, but when I first moved here, everything was reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of, and and I guess one of the the schools that my children went to, there weren't there weren't any parent associations. I did that. There wasn't any fundraising platforms. I, you know, I got into that. There wasn't a gifted program. I got in, you know, I, I, I did. So all these things that, and that's, I know off the subject a little bit, but what I'm trying to say is so much of what I used to do, I did have to create everything, including the fabric. Yeah. But now there's so many beautiful patterns and people that are make that are producing fabrics that I want to support. It's just, it's great. It's wonderful. So I'm not having to do that on top of everything else. (laughs) Let's finish up here with a bit about your family, because it's a great, great story. Your grandmother, Irma Finch was a school teacher. Her great grandmother was the first white woman to settle the Rosebud Creek in, uh, in Eastern Montana. Montana. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. So that's, they, you know, my uh, great grandfather came from, oh gosh, I think it's Minnesota or Wisconsin. Okay. You know, right after the Civil War and and found, you know, a homestead piece of property. And then he went back and got his family. Yeah. And that was Marietta. That was Marietta Finch. And she was the first white woman to settle on the Yellowstone, or sorry, Rosebud, Rosebud. Mm-hmm. which is Eastern Montana. Mm-hmm. And then, well, what happened was apparently the land that they homesteaded on actually belonged to the railroad. I don't know how that, that's just <laughs> what they say. I don't know how that all, you know, I don't know how that all works, but she ended up going into the town and, and uh, had the first hotel in Rosebud. Okay. And uh, she was also a midwife and she what, delivered babies all over the place. What year are we talking about? That would have been 1870, 1880s, yeah. you know, kind okay. of thing. So that would have been my great grandmother. Uh-huh. Great. No, my great, 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 great grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then my grandmother was Finch. She mm-hmm. was Finch. Mm-hmm. Um, five sisters. <clears throat> they lived in a sod house and their wow. mother was from uh, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And when my great grandfather, Bert Finch, was mm-hmm. in Wisconsin selling horses, he sold horses, he met her. 
and they got married and she brought her, her piano. She portaged her piano across the Yellowstone River. Wow. Yeah, that and so so even though they were living in a sod house, okay, uh-huh. they had the piano, they had culture, is what I'm getting at, and they were very sophisticated. Uh-huh. They sewed all their own clothes, mm-hmm. and they didn't just sew like field clothes. They got the latest fashion design magazines and sewed all high end fashion stuff. So here they're living in this sod house raising sheep and, you know, playing the piano, reading the classics and dressing, you know, and they're five girls. Whatever happened to that piano? It is in a museum in in Forsyth, Forsyth, Uh Montana, which is, is the county seat there in in Uh Rosebud. Uh So, so that's still there. And then interestingly enough, my grandfather who owned the, uh, cabinet company in Chicago, Churchill cabinet company. Uh My grandfather designed a telephone booth and I know you'll know which one it is. It was a wooden telephone booth. And when you shut the door, the light went on and a fan went on. Yes. Yes. You know those? Yes. I'm I'm old enough to remember that. Yeah. 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 So (laughs) I thought everybody is and they're like, telephone Uh booth, what are you talking about? Uh So he had a patent on that. And there's one of those in the museum there too. So it's kind of interesting. They had this piano and the telephone booth and in this little museum. And, I and that was my... your great grandfather, Oleg Gullickson, yes? That was my grandfather. Your grandfather. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. Willard, Willard Gullickson. Willard designed Gullickson. it. And, you know, and uh, yeah, and they, and they lived in Chicago. So I got a little ahead of myself, but my, uh-huh. you know, train travel in the in the night in the early part of the 20th century is very glamorous mm-hmm. That's what people did if you had mm-hmm. money you went first class you did all that so my grandfather from chicago took that train trip out west wow and while he was on the train he met my grandmother my grandmother was a barrel racer in the rodeo she was a rodeo uh, rider good for her and she was going from where, wherever uh-huh. yeah and they met on the train and then they corresponded with letters back and forth between Rosebud, Montana and mm-hmm. Chicago. And I have those letters, which are absolutely fascinating to see this kind of contrast of cultures. Oh, and, yeah. the, and yeah. you know, that's how people, you know, that's how people describe, they would describe life in such detail. Mm-hmm. It was just, they're, they're beautiful. So that's how they met. She got, you know, they got married and then she raised her family in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We always had the Montana connection. Now, there's still a, uh, a Churchill Cabinet Company in Chicago. Are you guys still connected to that? No, they sold that. They, they sold okay. that, I think, in okay. the 70s. You know, they just, I don't know. I, I, don't, I was in Montana by that point. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I have some theories about it, but, you know, it was kind of, it was all very male domin- <laughs> dominated. Yeah. It was all men. It was all men that were running it. My my uh, grandfather and his brothers and I. I never even went to the factory. My brothers went to the factory, but I, uh-huh. you know, so I don't know if it was an intentional, you know, male thing or what. I don't really know. But he could, you know, at that time I was studying uh, a lot of uh, production, uh, product design in school and stuff, and I thought, well, you know, I could have probably helped him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's you know, I never look back with regret at anything. I really don't yeah. because I'm so happy in this particular moment, in this particular time, that 
whatever led me to this moment, I have no regrets about, you know, so at least I try not to have. You said that (laughs) your, that your mom and aunt opened the first quilt store the patchworks in Bozeman, Montana. I'm guessing that was, and please correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on this, but I, I'm guessing that, that that quilt store was probably far more on the practical side than on the mm-hmm. art side. No, you know, what's funny about that is that it was not practical whatsoever. Okay. My mother and aunt <laughs> bought every piece of fabric uh-huh. that was on the market. 1500 I mean, pounds that place was <laughs> stuffed to the gills. I mean, it was stuffed with fabric. Okay. They, they weren't particularly organized as uh-huh, far as business uh-huh. people go. So going in there into that shop was kind of like going into somebody's like attic or something, you know, like you'd have to look for stuff. Like somebody wants a spool of thread. It would be like, Oh, I know we've got thread around here somewhere, you know, like, but people liked that. Uh, they liked that vibe. It made me crazy. But that was the vibe that they had going, you know, a lot of lot, really free with their information and teaching. And it was just a, it, and like I said, they bought, the, there was, I don't know that it was practical, but at the time it was the only quilt shop and we were yeah. selling stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with rendezvous. Rendezvous are when people get together, timey reenactments. And we had these yeah. guys, like we had the guys coming in and like brain tanned leather and, and all smoky and stuff coming in for authentic calicos to recreate for the, for the rendezvous and that kind of, so we had uh-huh. every imaginable, it was really fun because we had every imaginable type of person coming into the shop wow. because we had this. Yeah. We were the only people really in Montana to be carrying um, this kind of quality the calico and the variety and, and the expertise. How much do you appreciate that disorganization of, <laughs> of that shop now? Oh, I, I don't know. It still drives me crazy. Cause I, I mean, I have a retail background uh-huh, and I feel uh-huh. if somebody comes in for something and they've got money in their hand. Yeah. You need to be able to give them what they're looking for. You don't yeah. want, and a half looking for what they want so mm-hmm. that to this day my my sense of 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 how to mm-hmm. conduct business should be a little more uh mm-hmm. easy it should be easy it should be easy that's i guess why we have venmo and and paypal is is, is, <laughs> the, is the shop still open the no, patchwork still open well it's been sold okay to different people over the years so yeah. there's there's kind of you know different uh i guess offshoots of it or the lineage there's a certain lineage so yeah i mean there's there's the essence of it i guess yeah that's how that's actually how bozeman is right now Uh there's a there's an essence of many (laughs) places that existed early on Mm -hmm. um you know so yeah i recognize that old building it's now a subway sandwich shop Uh, (laughs) (laughs) right right well i yeah my mom my mom's uh shop the patchworks is like a noodle, a noodle shop. So we'll go, I'll go uh-huh. in there and, and sit down for a bowl of, of noodles and say, ah, I remember when these shelves were lined with, you know, with fabric. And so yeah, uh, you, you've, a little bit. You, you've got some, you've got some, some great names who have, uh, uh, who have collected your, your work over the years, Dennis Quaid, Meg Ryan, and only because I'm, I'm an aspiring screenwriter, Callie Curry, who wrote Thelma and Louise. How, how did that come about? That's the gallery show. 
those yeah. are the gallery shows yeah you know yeah uh, at least Callie and and then um Dennis and Meg they lived here in like the 80s okay they lived in Montana and they came into the quilt shop that mm-hmm. I was working at and I had mm-hmm. my quilts on display and they just said yeah we we want you know boom 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 they just pointed to them and yeah that that's cool yeah and then over the years they would they would come back and they I think they because Meg collected Meg okay. is, a, is, is a quilt collector and I, Dennis had bought some for her and oh. yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. And then Callie Curry, I mean, she, she must have been, I don't know if she's passing through and saw it at the gallery mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then a friend, and I love Thelma and Louise. I like the, the way it's written, the pace of it. Yep. I think it's, I always thought it was a really good movie. And then mm-hmm. a friend of mine was cleaning out his garage and I was over there and he's like, Oh, here's a script for, for Thelma and Louise. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're good. Oh, I want wow. it. Can I have it? Yeah. And he, what he told me was that Ridley Scott said it was the most perfect script he's ever read. That's no a kidding. lot. That's a big statement. That's, that's of course that's hearsay. That's secondhand. I don't know if it's true, but this friend of mine who works as an editor mm-hmm, said mm-hmm. that that's that. And I thought, well, now I've got it. And and it's it's a great piece to study, to look at. And yeah. um, so so I love that kind of full circle, full circle thing that happens. The last yeah. quick question I have for you, and this is yeah. thoroughly a Montana question about the show Longmire, <laughs> which is is a great show, and it's supposed to take place in in at least at least in part in Montana, but there's never any winter scene. There's never any snow in the in the eight <laughs> seasons of it. How, that drives me crazy. Yeah, I, I, you know, Bill, that's that's interesting because I try not to watch too many of these Montana okay, things. Right. Uh, because and and Longmire, my husband loves Longmire. He's huh? read all the books. I think that's a great I haven't watched enough of Longmire to know. Actually, Cassidy uh, Freeman, who's in that. Uh-huh. is a local here from Livingston okay. and now she's in Righteous Gemstones which is completely different it's like but Cassidy uh, Freeman is a local from from our area uh, mm-hmm, actress mm-hmm. and she was in Longmire and again you you know if you're not seeing winter scenes that's not appropriate i mean you know uh, eight eight months uh, eight months of snow i mean i've got snow right now it's snowing right now yeah i was going to ask you you guys just had a had a had a big snow there last week or the week before last week and we've got one coming in today and i'm supposed to travel i'm 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 doing a a permaculture class a class on because i'm also do gardening nice and uh i'm i'm on my way to a class on permaculture and uh i'm like uh how are we going to do that the snow but maybe, maybe they've got a good technique so Colleen's story creates the most wonderful quilts. If you have any opportunity to invest in one of her pieces, one day they will be shown in museums. Her work can also be seen at Etsy.com. Search Life as Quilt. Colleen's website is lifeasquilt.com. I will link to both of those sites in the notes. Colleen, this was a delight. Yeah, thanks, Bill. I've got just one quick more. Please support this program simply by subscribing to receive notifications for future Playtime episodes if I could just get my mouth to work. (laughs) Early this year, we debuted a new album from Peter Jolie. His 2021 album, Easy Has Never Been The Way. Peter Jolie is our featured indie artist. You can find his music at Peter Jolie, that's J-O-L-Y, dot bandcamp, dot com. This is Honey Babe. Honey babe, 
What have you been smoking To can save the joke Believe the joke And ever leave me broken This ain't my first rodeo Where the dust has left me choking And I've been thrown three times far before Honey babe What have you been drinking you could save that you'd believe that you could ever leave me sinking. Well, I've sailed around the world a time or two, and I've done some thinking, and I've never failed to make it back to shore. Honeybee, what have you been doing? You've been plotting the perfect plan. Tell you that I'm not selling what you're buying. 